Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to our Cup of Joe on Wednesday mornings. I want to thank Elliot Olswang, who has sponsored the series for the year in memory of his beloved mother, Marilyn Olswang Eisenberg, whose neshama should have an aliyah. We continue with our study of Mesila Susharim, the Ramchal of Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who has spelled out for us not how to live a life of burden and service, of sacrifice and submission in a negative sense, but rather through Mesila Susharim playing off the great Brisa has taught us how to follow the 12 steps that lead to the most meaningful, joyous, fulfilled life of mission, of purpose, and so on. We're still in the opening chapter that is describing defining the mission, the purpose of a person in this world. We've spoken about several times that rather than view ourselves in this world, what are our rights and entitlements, what can we take from the world, but what are our duties and obligations, what can we give to the world? And that conversation begins by realizing that the world is not an end to itself. This world is not the reason that we're here. We're not here to benefit and to enjoy hedonistic pleasure, the pursuit of the physical, of the material. But rather, while we do enjoy this world, there's nothing wrong with delicious food, there's nothing wrong with physical pleasure, there's nothing wrong with delicacy, there's nothing wrong with taking in the beauty of nature. All of that is there to serve as a platform to serve our mission, which is the choices of the soul. Says the Ramchal, any rational thinking person looks around this world and you cannot possibly conclude that this is all that there is. After all, what is a person's life in this world? Have you ever met anyone who's free of any trouble, any challenge, any struggle, any suffering? Is anyone's life from the day they're born till the end of their lives smooth sailing of joy, serenity, tranquility, pleasure, perfection? Everyone's got aches and pains, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in their relationships, in their professional life, in their family life. So if you look around this world and you see the challenges and the travails, you can't possibly conclude this is it. This is all there is. After all, David Amalek said, The days of our years are 70 years with strength if we're lucky. In David Amalek's time, 80 years was as unimaginable. Today, an 80-year-old is a young man. 90-year-old, we know, when I was a kid, you didn't know any 90-year-olds. Now, 90, you're still impressed. 100, yeah, I know several people who are 100. Tonight's survivor who's speaking at the Yom HaShoah program, 97 years old. And... Obviously, competent to describe his story and to share his experiences at that age. But what David Amalek is telling us is, even if you live till 120, and for us 120 sounds like longevity, it sounds like forever. But in the scheme of eternity, 120 is nothing. It's a blip on the screen. It represents nothing. So in the limited nothing time we're here on earth, with aches and pains and krechts and problems and challenges and struggles, in the best of life one has that. And if you think that if only you had money, you wouldn't have that. People with wealth have their problems. People without wealth have their problems. Everyone has their problems. We all know the famous story. If you got to walk in a room and put your peckle, your challenges on the table, and look at everyone else's peckle, you'd pick up your peckle gladly and leave the room. Everyone's life has its challenges. So says the Ramchal, how could you look at this world with the challenges it presents and conclude, this is it. This is all there is. This is why we're here. Impossible. What comes at the end of endurance, perseverance, overcoming those challenges? 
What is visited upon you at the end of it all? Death. And if you think there is no afterlife, if you think that's the end, what was it all for? Not one in a thousand can describe their lives as smooth sailing, as comfortable, as perfect. Everyone finds it's all relative, but even those people will find they stubbed their toe, they had slow Wi-Fi connection, they didn't have the latest iPhone, whatever the challenge is, oy, oy vezmir, how difficult it is. But if you look at this world, this can't be it. In fact, I think this is underlying a lot of our attitude towards this world is that whether it's when one grows older and they encounter problems that they don't understand, where is God and why them? It's because we come into life with a faulty assumption. This world is all there is. This world should be pleasurable, comfortable, convenient. When it's not, we have all kinds of challenges and complaints on God and the people around us. It ruins our demeanor. It steals, it robs us of our happiness, of our joy in life. Why? All because we came with the wrong assumption, which was that this world should be comfortable, convenient, and pleasurable. Who said it's supposed to be that way? We live in a world that is filled with challenges. Those challenges stimulate, they precipitate our growth. They help us become the people we're meant to be. They help us realize potential latent within ourselves that otherwise we would never know. And even horrible loss is part of the cycle of the world. And the promise is that this world is not all there is. Torah tells us that if you lose a loved one, you're not allowed to carve your skin. Losus go to do. You can't cut your skin. And the Mephoshim there explain right afterwards, the same part, Losus go to do. We are the children of Hashem. What's the connection between the two? The Ramban, others explain. It's very simple. Why does one cut their skin when they lose a loved one? Why do they mutilate themselves? Why do they grieve excessively when they lose a loved one? Because if you think this life is all there is, this world is all there is, this is the only place that I'll have contact with them. When I lose them, my, my grief is so profound, so deep, so inconsolable that I mutilate. It's the only way to relieve some pain. But if you realize that, yes, of course there's grief. The Rambam says somebody who doesn't grieve is cruel. Of course there's grief when you lose a loved one. But you know what? It's temporary. It's for the rest of your life that you feel that separation anxiety. But you know what? There's a future, there's a time where you'll be reunited and that reunion will last for eternity. And if you realize the reunion will last for eternity, then how could you grieve excessively right now? And therefore, because because we're children of the Almighty and we believe in an afterlife and a world to come and eternity and there's something so much bigger than the here and now, that's why we can't grieve excessively when we lose someone. So as we live our lives and go on this journey and look around this world, enjoy it, use it, utilize it, contribute to it, participate in it. But never ever mistake it for all there is. Because you're giving up so much, you're sacrificing everything. What a mistake. What a mistake. There's so much more waiting. This is a horrible metaphor, but it just jumped into my head. If you ever eat, go to All You Can Eat in Papagayo in Yerushalayim. So you know their strategy. They load you up on the cheap salads. They load you up on the bread, which cost them nothing. You paid for the all you could eat, and by the time you get to the meat, you're stuffed. So the amateurs tack a load up on the bread and the salads. And then they nibble on the meat, and they paid way overpaid for some corn salad and coleslaw and flour, and, uh, and flour and water. But if you're a professional and you know what's coming and you can hold out, you realize, nibble on the corn, taste the coleslaw. Have a bite of bread or don't even give in and wash because then you're in trouble. 
Because the flesh that's coming, the meat that's coming and the oil you could eat, if you're a professional and you know what you're doing, and you can keep that on the green rather than the red, for anyone who's been there, then you hold out because you know what's coming. You don't confuse what comes first. That doesn't mean what comes first isn't good. It doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy it a little bit. It just means if you're smart, you know not to confuse. Not to confuse however you'll label the two. So whatever, I told you it's a bad metaphor, but it jumped into my head. The same is true for this world. Nibble on the world, enjoy it, it's there for you. Don't confuse it. Don't confuse it. Says the Ramchal, if this world were all that there was, God would not have created us with such lofty, exalted souls. Souls capable of feeling Souls capable of experiencing. Souls capable of caring. Souls capable of impacting a world. We are greater than angels. Angels are described, I spoke about on Pesach, the Pasuk describes angels as omdim, they stand still. We are mahalchim. We are moving, we grow, we develop. If this world were all there was, God would not create souls that are so lofty. Souls that in fact get no pleasure from this world. Souls get pleasure from our capacity to be disciplined in this world. The end of this week's parasha, Shemin, we have the laws of Kashrus and the Medrash wonders. Why does God care where you cut the neck of the animal, how you cut if the knife has a little dent in it? What does God care? This animal, that animal, choose its cut, split hooves. These things really matter. And the Medrash concludes that in fact, it's not these are arbitrary laws, but they're not really specific to these animals or to these rules. The reason the Medrash says that Hashem gave us the laws of Kashrus is to cultivate and refine within ourselves a sense of discipline, of self-control. Because if you've ever done a healthy diet successfully, if you've ever begun and kept up an exercise regimen, if you ever set a goal of competing in a marathon or running a certain length, and you met that goal, you know that the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction of having self-discipline far surpasses whatever donut or whatever lying on the couch, potato chips, you gave up in the process. Self-control, discipline, is among the most joyous, fulfilling feelings. We forget that when we see the chocolate cake and the potato chips and the ability to sleep in or lie on the couch. But when we taste and we experience the fulfillment and satisfaction of self-control and discipline, we are reminded of how it is much more pleasurable. So the Medrash says that's why Hashem gave us kashras. He put us in this world. He created a world where there's appetite, temptation, drive for food. And he said, good, you want to feel, you want something, you want to taste something that's even better than chocolate cake? You know what it is? Self-control. Enjoy it. I did it for you. That's why I provided you with it. And he said, we have to stop here. We're at the end of time. We'll pick up with this in Mirza Hashem next week. But our soul is capable of such a higher and loftier pleasure than the physical material pleasures of this world. That doesn't mean that we live ascetic lives. We are not, we don't take vows of abstinence. We engage the world and we enjoy it. But we understand it in context. We don't confuse it, which that which is the most valuable and that which is the most lasting. And as we go on this journey through life, our mission is to keep our eye on the ball. That the here and now is not all there is. Our mission is to be disciplined as we confront the appetizer, to hold out and remember just how delicious that main course will be. Have a fantastic day.